scares you. That song, it's a great song that I was singing. Good morning, everybody. I gotta just calm down from that last song. The, the chorus on that song is really great words, great song. I just wanted to make sure I get it right. Whenever you hit a wrong note, everybody, mm, it's like stuns you when you. <laughs> we don't want to do that. All right. Do we have any visitors here? If you if you're here and you are a visitor, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here at One Hope Church uh, today. We hope you enjoy the service. And so I think there was plenty said about the fathers. I, I got a phone call from one of my daughters this morning, and she said, "I'm so glad I, I'm, that I'm able to speak with you, but I I wanted to get you before you left for church, and I didn't." So happy Father's Day. I have a card for you. And I just melted right there. You know, daughter called me and says happy Father's Day. Ready? You ready for the scripture? Everybody ready? Everybody happy today? Everybody happy? Okay, you're not going to be too happy. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to be happy with the word of God today. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at one verse of scripture and then we'll broaden it out later on in the sermon. 1 Samuel 17. The story is a very famous story in the Bible. Uh, it's the story of David and Goliath. And the title today is called Fighting Your Goliath. Turn to someone next to you and say, you are not my Goliath. You That's right. <laughs> 1 Samuel 17. One verse of scripture for now, verse 49. Here it is. In the New King James, then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that, that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn to do war in the spirit. Father, you've called us to do battle against the enemy. Help us, Lord, to be people that are engaged in the spiritual realm. We ask it today in the name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. We are in a spiritual battle, and that's the reality. If you grew up in church at any time, you probably have heard the David and Goliath story. But if you haven't heard it, just hold on. You're going to hear it today. It's a narrative about conflict. It's a narrative about bravery. It's about facing your fears. It's about a righteous resolve. But most importantly, it's a narrative about the true spiritual realities of this fallen world. And so make no mistake about it. This story is in the Bible deliberately and with purpose because the Holy Spirit gave it to us for purpose. That we might glean divine insight over our families to take advantage of the resources that we have that we can live a victorious life. Every Christian inevitably needs to understand the necessity of spiritual warfare at some point. I believe that spiritual warfare is not for every day, but it is for seasons of time. There are times that you go into battle against the enemy, and there are times that you don't. So I think most people don't like conflict. I'm kind of one of those. I would rather be at peace with all men if possible, wouldn't you? We don't like conflict, but the, the reality is we are in a conflict. Whether we like it or not, we are, we are locked in a conflict almost moment to moment with real casualties, real losses in life. Everyone here has a story to tell, not of a victory, but of a loss. No one likes to talk about that. 
But we as Christians, we have knowledge. We have knowledge. And because we have knowledge, we have an advantage if we will use that. Uh, uh, We have to understand that in a conflict, we have to use everything that we have at our disposal so that we come out ahead in Christ. So two things that typically happen in the life of a believer on this subject. Number one, some believers, there's a willingness, excuse me, yeah, there's a willingness to acknowledge the fight exists. That's what we need to have, is a willingness to acknowledge that there's a real fight. Now, I think at a subconscious level, people don't really think about spiritual warfare and, you know, going up there in the heavenlies and fighting somebody there. We don't really think about it that much. There are those who acknowledge the the realities and those that do not. And I've been around a lot of people who treat spiritual warfare as a taboo. It's just something that's not discussed. It's an elephant in the room. And people don't like that. And in some cases, and I have to tell you, some people just get a little hostile if you bring up these spiritual realities. I've been in a few places like that. Oh, you're one of them. You know, you're one of those kind. Looking for the devil under every rock kind of person. No, I don't look for the devil under every rock, but I'll tell you what. I'm not going to be an ostrich with my head in the sand to what the New Testament has to say about the realities that we're in this world. The secular culture has taken great strides within the last 30 to 50 years to become both secular and spiritual, both of them. Now, there was a day not that long ago in my day, in my early days, that the culture predominantly embraced rational, material thought for the most part. I mean, there's those problems with that, I'm just saying. But today, they mostly embrace supernatural and spiritual thought through social media, through video games, through Hollywood movies. In other words, today's generation gladly buy in to a spiritual and supernatural, the the spiritual and supernatural possibilities. Yet those possibilities are framed outside of the biblical worldview. And so we have generations of people that are connecting spiritually, but not but not in the by the parameters that we find in the scriptures. So stories like David and Goliath are at best children's fairy tales. They're not told anymore in a lot of churches, as if these stories don't really have any meaning to them, but they do. Has anyone in here taken a look at a Saturday morning cartoon? Well, actually, nowadays, you don't have to go to Saturday morning. You've got Cartoon Network all the way around the clock. Has anybody taken a look? Has anybody sat down? How many of you have small children? Okay. Sit down and pay attention to the narratives in some of these cartoons. We're not talking about just any supernatural element. We're talking about occultic themes blatantly embedded in the cartoon narratives. We're talking about, I don't know, characters who cast spells, do magic, use crystals, who promote new age themes right there for your little four or five or six-year-old just to watch. Unfortunately, uninformed Christians you know, we give our wink, our, 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 our eye of, ah, eh, yeah, that's no big deal. It's not really going to affect anything in life. Well, I don't know. How about stuff like Harry Potter stuff? How about there's a video game called Wiccan for teenagers? Anybody know about that? Wow. You should, oh, my goodness. Good Witch on TV. There's a show called Charmed. 
Now, I was just curious about Charmed. I searched my cable network and I found Charmed. And here's what the headline reads right off of my TV set. A group of sisters discover they are witches. Luckily for the world, they're of the good variety. Banding together in their home in San Francisco, they work together to fight evil with each having a specific and special power. This is what our culture is absorbing. And we as, not everyone, not every Christian, maybe not anyone in here, but many Christians are not connected to what this means. The American culture has had a steady, a steady diet of supernatural for the past 50 years, really, defined outside of the parameters of the Bible. So let's face it. Our influence has been pushed out of the marketplace of ideas by our Goliath of the culture. Our Goliath, we wink an eye. Our worldview on the subject of evil and the supernatural realities is like the children's cartoon, Horton Hears a Who. Does anybody know Horton Hears a Who? Anybody remember this? You gotta know, you gotta watch Horton Hears a Who. I, my wife introduced this cartoon to me, and there's a lot of spiritual truth in this cartoon. It's about an elephant named Horton who hears voices of people who live on a speck of dust in Whoville. Get with it, guys. You not anybody know this? And he's the only one that could hear it, and so nobody believes him that he can hear these voices, and so he calls to these little creatures or whatever they are, these people in Whoville, and he says, hey, you got to speak louder. you got to speak louder with everything that you've got so that everyone can know that you really are there and that you really do exist. You see, that is the church in many ways. The church today is like the Who people living on a speck, our voices not heard. We're not in the culture, not even a little bit. In addition to acknowledging the fight is the willingness to move toward the fight. That lands us in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop before we get into it. We're going to read most of the narrative just because it's a good thing to read David and Goliath. But the backdrop is this. Prior to David and Goliath's story is the story of Saul. He was king of Israel at the time. I've mentioned him before. In chapter 16, he was the very first king. He was not a good king. God did not like him. I mean, in other words, God says, you're not the man for the job. So the, the Lord told the prophet Samuel to fill his horn with anointing oil and go to Jesse's house. And he has eight sons. Pick one of those. I'll let you know which one. And that's what happened. And David was picked as the new king. And the Bible said that uh, when Samuel anointed him, I, I've mentioned this before, the spirit of God came upon David from that very hour and the spirit of God lifted from Saul that very hour. And a tormenting spirit or a, dis a, a distressing spirit came upon him. And all of this was a prelude or a backdrop to the great battle between David and Goliath. And it's important to understand that. The point is, David was empowered by the Spirit of God, and Saul wasn't. Saul was technically still the king. David wasn't. He was disqualified. How important is it for us as Christians, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare, how important is it for us to have the Spirit of God on us? You will need it. If you have never been in a David and Goliath situation, your time will come when the Lord says it's your time to come. It's a test. We'll see it in a second. So 
we have the Philistines who were sworn enemies of Israel, and they, they showed up on the battlefield on two different mountains. They're on one mountain, and the Israelites were on the other mountain, and they're having conversation between them. And so they, they brought their star player, Goliath, to the battlefield. He was a gargantuan beast. Some scholars say that he probably was around nine feet tall. I don't know. Wow, nine feet tall. He wore 160 pounds of armor on him. And he was a, a gigantic but fearful, uh, uh, incredibly fierce person. But he came out mocking the God of Israel and threatening the people of God. And the Bible says that he brought a reproach on Israel. In other words, Israel felt terribly ashamed because they were not able to defeat him. They felt badly about it. He taunted and tormented them with his rant for days. But eventually he decided to cut a deal with them because they were just kind of looking at him. Well, there's no way in the world we're going to go after Goliath. So he said, I'll cut a deal with you. Anyone who can beat me, we will become your slaves. But if any one of your guys, if I can beat them, you become our slaves. Wow. And so this challenge was offered day after day on two hills, one of two hills, for 40 days, back and forth, back and forth. Israel just, there's no way we can take him. David, who wasn't even there at the time, he heard of this, and he became indignant about it. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? Who is this guy? I like that attitude. You know? He's just a little kid. But he understood something about the God of Israel that apparently Saul and his army didn't understand. Who do these disconnected people think they are? Disconnected people? Yeah. People who have no connection with God. Who do they think they are? Who do they think they are by setting the agenda in the culture, by imposing their way of life into our communities? Who do they think they are? Insisting that their way of life is the right way and ours is wrong. Who do they think they are? Hmm. We once believed that well, you know, our society has so changed that today what is right is wrong. Even at a very fundamental level, things today that we consider the right way is not the right way anymore with many in our culture, in our communities. The Goliath culture, I call it the Goliath culture, has managed to sing us lullabies and have lulled many in the church to sleep. If more Christians would simply take David's attitude of boldness when it comes to moder our modern-day Goliath, it would be a little bit different story now, wouldn't it? So the, the word was already out that the first Israelite who could defeat Goliath would be rewarded handsomely. Saul went out there and says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take care of you. If anybody steps up for Goliath, I'll take care of you. They would get the king's daughter, number one. Number two, they would be exempt from all taxes, no taxes on your house, no taxes when you buy anything, no taxes. And thirdly, they would be given a large sum of money. It would be deposited into their bank account. Wow. It's all kind of sweet in the pot, I would think. But no one answered the call except one young man named David. And you see, God is looking for people today who will not only acknowledge our Goliath is real, 
but also do something about it. In other words, move toward the battlefield. Move toward it in faith. That's what God is looking for. So after Saul and David debated whether or not David should even go out there, Saul eventually allowed us. He said, okay, you go ahead and go, but I have to tell you, uh, you're, you're just a kid. There's just no way that you can do this. You, you really should think about it before you go. Now pick it up with me in verse 33, 1733. We're going to read one verse, and then we're going to skip a little bit more. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Jump down to verse 38, and we'll continue. It's a long narrative here. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. That's uh, defensive wear. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had uh, not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore his shield went before him. And when the Philistine took about, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, "Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?" And the Philistine cursed David to his gods. And the Philistine said to David, "Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field." Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all of the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand, into our hands. So it was when the Philistines rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in his hand. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Isn't that a great story? I mean, not on maybe Sunday morning. You're talking about heads rolling and everything on Sunday morning. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of gruesome, but what we want to do is extract a little bit of the spiritual application, right? Because otherwise, it's just a great story about a little kid and Goliath. Okay, the kid, he got a lucky break. No, I don't think so. If this is your very first time to actually read this, David and Goliath story, is it fascinating? I think it is. But before we close today, I want to unpack practical application here that I think is important. I counted at least six strategies David used in the conflict, and I'll call them a six-fold plan of action, hopefully useful to us. Number one, 
David, after hearing about Goliath's rant, didn't look the other way. He didn't look the other way like everybody else. And, and, and like so many in our culture today, we look the other way when we see our Goliath. And I just look the other way. I ain't going to worry about any of that. You see, there are political and spiritual elements locked into our culture today who are absolutely hostile toward us. They call us bigots, hypocrites, as if they have a moral high ground. The climate for contention, I don't know if you've noticed, is high in many parts of our, of our society and in our country. It's easier for Christians to not engage the culture and to just look the other way as Saul's army looked the other way and Saul looked the other way. We don't want to deal with him. The problem is, by doing so, we create for ourselves our own bubble of elite culture. Much like the Insiders Club or a clique, we have our own culture and, the cult, and when the culture comes knocking on our, door, on our door, they don't understand us, and we don't need to mess with that. Looking the other way creates more difficulty than engaging, I would suggest. The culture has managed to drag us away to forbidden places of indifference and fear. That's the church, the majority of the church. There is a shame on us, maybe not us here, Speaking in general. But there is a shame on us, much like Saul's army, because we haven't been able to defeat our culture Goliath. Please understand, our Goliath cannot be converted. People can be converted. But ideas, he's a symbol of ideas, must be defeated. We have to have better answers than the culture has. We have to have better solutions than the culture. So let's not forget to put on... The Apostle Paul's perspective on this uh, when we engage the culture. In Ephesians 6.12, you, you probably won't have it on the board. I'll just read it real quick. Paul said this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This is huge. So our Goliath is not a physical person but one who is firstly controlled by the God of Goliath. And we are commanded to not physically or literally fight Goliath. We are to fight him spiritually. Goliath and those who love him are Satan's agents who do their bidding for their God. First John 4 tells us that they are of an antichrist spirit. Who? The culture. People who are buying into Goliath. But we hold the keys to unlock their bondage. We have keys. We have answers. If we will not become indifferent, if we will not be fearful, we, we have what they need. We just need to know how to capture their attention, to get their eyes away from their Goliath and set their eyes on Christ. So again, David, he didn't look the other, other way. He answered the call. In verse 32, he says, I will go and fight. Secondly, as a plan of action, he refused to be discouraged. Now, I like that one because you know how easy it is to be discouraged. When life isn't going your way, when things are not right, it's easy to be discouraged. King Saul basically said in verse 33, there's no way you can do it. You're just a runt. It's not going to happen. He's going to eat your lunch. Loose translation, of course. 
In other words, Saul saw the fight from a completely different perspective than David did. He saw it looking through human reason. That's the way Saul looked at it. David, on the other hand, saw Goliath from a faith perspective. But not only that, he already had a few notches under his belt. You know, he killed the bear and the lion. He took the, the lambs out of the lion's mouth. He had gotten a lot of use with his sling. He was ready to go. It suggests that this Goliath moment was not just another lion and bear moment for David, but there's potential here for, for a little bit of promotion in his life. You see, the Goliath was David's first real test. He had been practicing over here. A Goliath moment is not something that comes every day or every hour, but every once in a while or maybe once in a life. You remember, Jesus was tempted in the desert by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. That tempting, that testing never happened again. It was a moment. It was a Goliath moment, I might suggest. Seeing the fight from the standpoint of faith brings encouragement because our God is so for us. Your God is so for you. He wants you to win in this life. He wants you to prosper. He wants to bestow his kindness, his blessings on your life. He's more for you than you are for yourself at times. I say that about myself too. Thirdly, as a plan of action, David had to know whose armor to fight with. Do I trust rational thought in this kind of a fight or something higher? It reminds me of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. You're going to know it. It's a very popular passage. The scripture says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in everything that you do, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Let me say it again. It's just so rich. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't try to figure it out. Don't lean on your own rational reason. Why? Because you're in a spiritual battle, not a rational one. Every disciple will have their Goliath moment. And it can actually be a promotion in disguise if you pass the test. Saul tried to fit him with the armor. But remember, he was, a, he was not a man of faith. He was a man of sight. His armor was all physical, reasonable, rational. Rational thought can be a great thing until you meet a miracle, right? You know, I, I love to think rationally. We're, 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 you know, we're, our brains are wired to think rationally. Until we need something that's outside of that, then we start to think differently. Rationalism, which is actually a movement from the Renaissance, the Enlightenment age, it crept into the church in the 1700s, this rationalistic movement. And it worked its way into our Christian doctrine, by the way, by the 1900s, most of the church has, had ceased to believe in the supernatural elements found in the ministry of Christ. So that today, it's difficult to let go of reason when we pick up our Bible. To make a choice for faith. Faith in God and faith in his power to deliver us. We don't think that way. We want to lean on what, what makes sense to us. You know, Jesus, he's a man that blew people's minds. Because he was just above that. 
So David put on his Saul's armor and it didn't fit. Why? Because Saul's armor can only be used by reasonable people in a, in a reasonable situation. This was not a reasonable situation. He instinctively knew he needed an edge. He needed a supernatural solution. His choices of weapons uh, was the slingshot, but it really wasn't the slingshot. It began with a strong faith in the God of Israel. And he stood on the promises of God. Consider Paul's words again in Ephesians 6. He said, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, David, stand in the evil day. There's that evil day. That evil day may be something in the future. But in David's life, that evil day was then. Fourthly, as a plan of action, David took authority in verse 45. Look at with me at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, with the spear, with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Can you just feel the boldness of God rising up in him, standing in front of a nine-foot-tall man and talking that way and speaking that way? Taking authority is a concept shared by only a few in the body of Christ. We, it's not even in our vocabulary in most Christian circles. People are not comfortable taking authority over the devil, much less Goliath. It's just not something that we do. Making declarative statements in his name is it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable prayer for many people. David understood it, however. And he made sure Goliath understood it. You know, it reminds me of the, the cripple man that was at the gate called Beautiful in the book of Acts. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. I'm sure you know the story. And there's a man that had been uh, crippled all of his life, and they had to get around him. Now, that man had been there when Jesus walked by. I don't know why Jesus never healed him. He never received healing from Jesus, but now after Jesus had resurrected and he had gone to be in heaven, Peter and John are coming by. This man says, alms, alms, alms. And Peter says, hey, we're broke. We don't have any money. Loose translation. But what I do have, I'll give it to you in the name of Jesus. And he grabbed him. Now, this takes a little bit of faith on Peter. He grabbed him and he yanked him up. You got to read the story. He yanked him up, and when he yanked him up, the Bible says that his, his limbs straightened up and strengthened. It was a miracle. And, of course, we know the rest of the story there. The guy was just bouncing around, freaking out. That was, that was where Peter just simply declared something. He had an authority. Well, guess what? You have that same authority. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In order to benefit from his name, we must use it, speak it, declare it, stand on it. But most importantly, believe in the person behind the name. He's so for you in your life, in your business, with your finances, with relationships. He's so for you in every aspect of your life. So verse 49 and 50 tell us David reached into his shepherd's bag to reveal what I call the faith stones. He had five stones. He had four other brothers. He took, he took out the faith stones that would give him the edge. 
and he, he put him in his, his slingshot and started doing this. It's a little kid. He struck Goliath to the ground and then took his own sword, the sword from Goliath, and he took him out. Of course, Goliath's face was, his face was in the ground. So in closing, fifth point. As a plan of action, he plundered the enemies in verse 53. In other words, his obedience to God resulted in blessing and prosperity. When you read the next chapter, it's all about David being promoted and being blessed. David received great promotion from the Lord. That's important. Because God, when you're in a test, when you're in a David and Goliath test and you pass, our God is a God that says, I'm going I'm to make that up to you. I'm going to prosper you. You suffered in this. I'm going to make sure and get you back what you deserve out of that. And you know what? I'm going to bestow wonderful things in your life because you've learned a lesson. Now, it's getting past the David and Goliath. I've been to David and Goliath's camp many times and lost. And I don't know if I've ever passed. I think I do sometimes. Finally, sixth point, as a plan of action, he paraded the victory over others. We'll see, we can see that in verse 54. The Bible says David took the Philistines' head to Jerusalem. Why did he do that? He, can you, I, I don't want to be too graphic. He took his head and he went into the cities of Jerusalem. Why? To parade it before God's people, which is to say all things are possible. Remember Goliath and his head. It was a symbol of shame and defeat. And the, the God of Israel had no strength. But he was there to say, no, 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 you've got it wrong. The God of Israel does have strength. Here is the head of Goliath. All things are possible and nothing shall be impossible. Now that is the message that we need to understand. In your circumstance, all things are possible and nothing shall be impossible. We, we don't even see that again. That's past the, the understanding. That's past reason. It's in another realm that we don't like to go to too much. The realm of the supernatural. God has, I've learned this and I'm still learning, that when I think I've exhausted everything that I can as a solution for a problem, when God is ready to solve that for me, he finds some way out of somewhere that I never would think. And he gives me a solution. And he says to me, you see, you need me, don't you? And I said, yes, I need you, God. Because I think I try to figure it out. I was saying to my wife the other day, or yesterday, I was saying, you know what? I, I want to be able to not trust me. I want to be able to, have you ever thought about that? To not trust you. Because why? You and I, we are so finite. I want to be able to just trust you, God, with everything in life and nothing else. So how about you? Do you face a Goliath? Is there a strong enemy keeping you from what God says you can have? Is there? Just remember three things, and I'll close. Very simple, all in my notes. Acknowledge the fight. That's a good step. Move toward the fight, step number two. And make sure that in the fight, you impose his name. Let's stand together. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. Is there any other announcements? We're good? Father, thank you that you gave us the story of David and Goliath. It's not an accident. It's not just because, but simply that we might extract the realities that are there, that we might live for you, and that every once in a while we will face off with evil, and we must be ready for the fight. Help us 
to prepare ourselves for that day when we square off with the enemy. We pray in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Amen. Turn to somebody.